0: Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 11, and we're going to pick up in verse 37. Lord willing, we're going to make it to the end uh, of the chapter today. Um, and this morning, in this, you know, and again, and it's a continuing study verse by verse, making our way through, through Luke's gospel, but we're going to be reading about a direct, a direct confrontation between Jesus and some of the, some of the religious leaders of, of the day. He's going to be talking specifically to two groups: uh, the, the Pharisees and, and a more specific group. Many of them were Pharisees, but but the lawyers. These were the experts in the Mosaic Law. And what we're going to see in this passage is Jesus is going to be—you know—he's going to issue a series of warnings. They're going to come. They're going to be called woes uh, to these religious leaders. And here's the, here's the challenge for, for you and for me. And I've been wrestling through this all week. As tempting as it might be, as tempting as it might be for for us to hear this teaching from Jesus, he's talking to Pharisees, he's talking to experts in the Mosaic law, and so we could be tempted to say, well, good thing I'm not a Pharisee, you know? I don't see anybody here walking around with long robes and fringes and phylacteries attached to your head, right? So no, no Pharisees here. So you're like, oh good, well this one isn't for me, right? It's tempting. Um, and I'm not an expert in the Mosaic law, right? So this won't apply to me. My, my prayer all week has been that each of us would see these warnings from Jesus as an invitation to examine our own hearts, right? To, to look at our own lives and, and like King David. This is the verse that's been running through my head. Psalm 139, King David said these words, Search me, O God. Not not search them. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. And so with that, so with that, let's dive in and see what Jesus has to say here to the to the Pharisees and lawyers. We're gonna start in verse 37. While, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner now Luke doesn't tell us why this Pharisee invited Jesus over for a meal as uh, one pastor said I think by the end of this dinner he may have regretted that decision but you know was it a sign of friendship was it a sign of friendship it's possible right because we know that in that culture to dine at the table with someone was a sign an extension of Friendship. In fact, Jesus was uh, accused of being the friend of sinners and tax collectors, right? Because he dined at tables with them. So it's possible it was a sign of friendship. Or, you know, it, it could have been, it's possible that it was a response to, to the challenging message that we, that we looked at last week. You know, maybe when Jesus said, you know, be careful lest the light in you actually be darkness, maybe this Pharisee heard that message and said, yeah, maybe. So it's possible. Maybe he was convicted by the words of Jesus. It says that while he was teaching, this Pharisee said, "I want to have that guy over for dinner." Right? He invites him over for dinner. Or, and I can't prove it, but I think more probably, based on the way that the uh, the evening's about to go here, this might have just been another invitation from another Pharisee who was trying to trap or discredit Jesus. Whatever the motivation was, whatever it was, what is clear from the passage is that Jesus accepted the invitation. And you, you know that Jesus knew his motive, right? He knew. So whether it was a pure or an impure motive, Jesus like, I'm going, I'm going. So he, he went in. He went in to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at table, it says. Now, I know we've talked about this before, but maybe for those who may not have been here, in order to really get a picture in our minds of, of what this scene would have looked like, you need to understand that in that culture, instead of you know sitting around a, like a table like we do in a chair, it's kind of you know, about this tall, right? And you sit in a chair with a nice back to lean on. In that, in that culture, they would recline around a low table, And they would kind of get down on the floor and kind of like with a pillow, they'd rest their left arm on a pillow. They'd have their right arm free to grab things in front of them. It'd be a low table with their feet and their legs kind of pointed back away from them, away from the table. And so that's the scene, okay? So Jesus... He walks into this Pharisee's house. he been invited for dinner, and he just walks over. He heads to the table, and he gets down into a comfortable position. Gets his pillow just right. Leans on his his arm, and he's like, "What's for dinner?" You know, he's ready. To, he's ready to. He's ready to eat. Okay, but the problem was the problem was that he didn't wash before dinner. And you're like, well, that's, that is kind of weird, right? Why, why didn't he probably have his hands were dirty, right? And so the, the, the Pharisee was, <clears throat> the Pharisee said he was actually astonished. That's a strong word, right? He is like, he's beside himself. Like, what is going on right now, okay? This reminded me, when I read this story this week, I, it reminded me of, of something from, from when we were raising our boys. They, back when my boys were still quite young, okay? I got to emphasize that because you might like, wow, that's very rude. Um, <laughs> they were really young, all right? And um, my, my wife and I, we don't claim to be perfect parents. We, we're not. She's more perfect. But um, look, we did some things right, Okay? Something's right. We did teach our boys that after you use the restroom, you should wash your hands. Okay? We taught our boys that because we're just really, really good parents. And (laughs) one evening, again, when my boys were quite young, okay, one evening, we we had guests over. They came over to visit and, you know, hanging out with these guests. And at, at some point, one of our guests excused themselves to go use the restroom. And, when the guests returned from the from the restroom to our shock and in embarrassment one of my sons called out you didn't wash your hands <laughs> He had heard the flush and it was not followed by any running water <laughs> The door opened, our guest came out, and our son said, you didn't wash your hands. <clears throat> he was astonished. My son, my son was astonished. Our guest was astonished, and I think we were uh, astonished. It was an embarrassing moment for sure. Now, amen. <laughs> amen. That's great. I, I, I honestly don't remember. I, I, I felt like the person was totally embarrassed. I remember that. What? No, I do. Of course, I. No. <laughs> I washed him before I flushed the toilet. Uh, okay. okay. Now, to be clear, to be clear, in this passage, in this passage, the astonishment that this Pharisee is expressing, it has nothing, nothing, nothing to do with hygiene. It has nothing to do with hygiene. It, honestly, I really believe that if Jesus' hands had been like dirty, and he had all kinds of stuff, he would have washed his hands. I think he would have. He might still not have done it the way that that they were looking for, though. This wasn't a sanitary issue. The the hand washing that Jesus ignored was nothing more than an elaborate ritual that the Pharisees required in order to be ceremonially clean. It was a man-made tradition of the Pharisees. Now, we have talked about the Pharisees before, so I don't want to go into a, a lot of depth uh, about who they were. But just remember, remember that the Pharisees, they were they were super religious, okay? They were like the spiritual elite. And, and they believed they were the spiritual elite, and they wanted to make sure that you knew that they were the spiritual elite. And, and these Pharisees, they, they devoted their lives to studying the Old Testament scriptures. They devoted their lives to interpreting and understanding what the scriptures taught. And um, the problem with the Pharisees is that, is that over time, over a period of hundreds of years, they had spent all this time working like, well, what does it mean when, when, when God says, you know, you know, keep the Sabbath day holy, what does that mean? What does it mean to not work on the Sabbath? Well, we gotta define what work is and what work isn't. And so they went and what happened is over time, they took the, the oral, and and the written traditions of the rabbis, and they formed a, a teaching called the oral law that they held to be just as authoritative as God's written word. So their interpretations of God's word became as authoritative as God's written word. And so they had rules about everything. I mean, when I say everything, I mean everything. Um, literally, like for example, when we talk about the idea of work, there the the Mishnah, which was was finalized about a couple hundred years after Christ, the Mishnah, twenty four chapters devoted to defining what work is. Twenty four chapters, thirty nine different categories of work. Okay, this is what the. the Pharisees had done. And so they they had rules about everything, including hand-washing rituals before you eat. And so they had had special water set apart in, in special containers, and they used special utensils to retrieve the water and to pour it over their hands in a special way. They would hold their hands up and they would Pour the water starting with the fingertips, letting it run down to the wrist, and then the water would drop off the wrist. And then they would, you know, they would use, once they did both hands, they could do this in their hands. But if one hand was still dirty, you couldn't use that hand because that would contaminate the clean hand. But you were allowed, if this hand was clean and this one was, you could use your head or you could use the wall, and then that was okay. They, they thought everything through, and, and in order for it to be sufficient cleansing, you had to use just enough water. There was a minimum requirement. It was actually, the measurement was an eggshell and a half worth of water. Like, that is a, that's an interesting measurement, <laughs> but you had to have just enough water in order to actually be ceremonially clean. So, so they, they performed this ritual, this hand-washing ritual before every meal. And the most devout Pharisees, the most devout Pharisees, they actually performed this ritual between each course of the meal. I think about that. I was talking with somebody who was on vacation recently. She was telling me about their vacation. They went to this restaurant. And if you know me, I love talking about restaurants and food. And, and they were telling me, they have a seven-course meal. That sounds amazing. I don't think I've ever had a seven-course meal um, that's not what we're here to talk about. So, <laughs> but can you imagine, can you imagine like in between each course of that meal? Oh, hold on. I got to go do this thing. <laughs> you know, go, <laughs> going through this in between every single course of the meal. But This is what they did. And so, so picture this scene. Okay, so you got this scene in your mind, right? Jesus is going to the Pharisee house. You got all these Pharisees, they're gathering. He's inviting his other Pharisee friends and some of his lawyer friends. They're all gathering and we've got Jesus, this rabbi is coming. And they're going through all of their their man-made rules and rituals and everybody's taking a chance to take a chance to wash their hands. And, and, And they're getting ready to eat. And then in comes Jesus and he walks right by the hand-washing station. He walks right by. Do you think he knew what he was doing? Of course he did. Do you think he knew what they were doing? Of course he did. He was very familiar with all their rules and all their rituals. He goes over to the table. He sits down. He reclines in a position and says, what's for dinner? What, 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 are, we, what are we having tonight? The Pharisee was astonished. And I don't know if, he, I don't know if this Pharisee said anything, whispered something to the person next to him, or if it was just like, if it was written all over his face, or if Jesus just knew what was in his heart, but he was stunned. Verse 39, oh man, here we go. What a dinner party we're about to observe here. Verse 39, and the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, picture him, right? He's reclining at the table. You Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Last week, I said, what a way to start a sermon when he was teaching (laughs) what a way to start a dinner party, you know? Can you imagine you invite a guest over? Can you imagine if you invited a distinguished rabbi or teacher or somebody who's traveling into your house and they come in, you make a face like, what are they doing? And then they rip into you like this? Yeah. He looks up at the Pharisee, still in shock. He says, you guys are fools you're fools. Look at you with, with all your, your hand washing. You know, I, I can picture him maybe, maybe maybe grabbing a cup and holding it up. You know? He says, man, you, you're so focused on your outward appearance. Look at this beautiful cup. But you ignore the fact that that cup is dirty on the inside. And by the way, a Pharisee would never drink out of a dirty cup they would in fact they would they would actually destroy a porcelain cup if it was if it had like had been contaminated or defiled they would destroy it wouldn't just wash it and clean it they would just destroy it jesus says, you're so focused on the outward appearance but you ignore what's on the inside you're more concern, concerned with the condition of your hands than you are with the condition of your heart they went to great lengths great, great lengths to maintain an appearance of righteousness and purity, cleanliness. But Jesus says, your hearts don't look so good. They don't look good. Your insides are full of greed and wickedness. Whew. Thank you for coming. (laughs) Dinner's over. Here's a question, because again I said, well, let's let's not just make this about the Pharisees, right? Here's the question: Do we care as much about what's inside of us as we care about what people think of us? Are we as concerned with our character as we are with convincing others that we are clean? Jesus calls these Pharisees out as fools because they were more concerned with their outward appearances than they were with the inside cleanliness. And so he asked them a a rhetorical question. He says, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? And what's the obvious answer? Yes, obviously. And and here's the thing, what he's saying is that God cares deeply uh, about the condition of our hearts. He cares about the inside. In Hosea 6.6, 6, God says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And so in verse 41, Jesus says, but give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. You see, when we take care of what's on the inside, the outside is gonna take care of itself, right? It doesn't work the other way, does it? It doesn't. You get rid of the greed and the wickedness in your heart. How would we do that? How about by cultivating a heart of love and generosity? Then, when you cultivate that in your heart, when you give alms to the poor... It will be from the overflow of a clean heart. Because well, here's the thing, the Pharisees, they gave alms. They gave to the poor. They were, and they made sure that you saw them giving to the poor, right? Everything they did was a show. And so because they were doing it as an outward expression and not flowing from a, a heart of, of love and gratitude and, 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 and a heart that wanted to give, it wasn't a clean offering, was it? It was filthy. It was all about them. Now, I, I don't know what this Pharisee expected when he invited Jesus over for a meal, but wow, right? This is off to quite, quite, a, quite a start. And, and here's the thing. Jesus is just getting warmed up, all right? i It's hard because in in some ways, this text is so serious. It's so serious, like, whoa, 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 whoa. And at the same time, like, just maybe because of the way my brain is built, it's hard for me not to laugh, right? Because I'm like, this is hilarious. Like, these are the religious leaders of the day, and and Jesus is, man, is he, he's throwing left and right hooks at, at these at these guys. These next several verses, Jesus, he's going to pronounce a series of these woes, six of them. And um, the thing about a, a woe, when you see a woe in scripture, when you see Jesus saying woe, you want to pay attention. You want to pay attention to what he's about to say, because the, the word woe here is it's, it's meant to get your attention. It's a, it's a word of warning you've heard me say this before, but it's kind of like, like a flashing road sign saying, warning, 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 warning. Don't go this way. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Turn around and go a different direction, right? By the way, that's what repentance is, right? Repentance, to turn away. So when you see a whoa coming from Jesus, it's an invitation to repent and go a different way. You don't, want to, you, you don't want to keep going this way, guys. So here we go. We're going to look at six of them. Verse 42, Jesus says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. All right, so in this, in this first woe, Jesus calls the Pharisees out for I'm going to call this majoring on the minors, for majoring on the minors while neglecting the majors. And he illustrates this point by calling attention to the meticulous way that the Pharisees went about their tithing. Now, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were instructed to bring a, a tithe of all of their crops, as a minimum. As a minimum, they were to bring a tenth of all of their crops uh, to the tabernacle or the temple once it was built a, as an offering. And Jesus says, you Pharisees, you guys are, you're like tithing professionals, right? You, you tithe every herb and every spice in your garden. You know, I'm convinced if, if, if a Pharisee came along and they found like a little clump of basil, they'd be like, one for you, God, nine for me. One for you, God, nine for me. They, they were tithing professionals right down to the, to, right down to the leaf. But, but, but Jesus says, but you ignore, you neglect the things that matter most. You neglect justice and the love of God. The Pharisees, they were busy you know, patting themselves on the back for the way that they followed commands like tithing. But all the while, they were ignoring the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? What is it? Yeah, perfect. Jesus answered, right? Matthew 22, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, God, God wants more than a 10th of your crops, right? He wants more than a 10th of your, of your spice cabinet. God wants more than, than the check that you put in a box in the back of the sanctuary. He wants more than that. He wants more than a a couple of hours that you give him on a Sunday morning, right? He wants more. God wants all of my heart. He wants all of my soul, all of my mind. He wants to transform us from the inside out, amen? He wants to use us as as his instruments to bring love, justice, and mercy to others, amen? Amen? This is what he does. It reminds me of the words of the prophet Micah. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He says, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Ah, but the the Pharisees, they, they, they neglected these things. It was all just an outward performance. And Jesus says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others, right? Yes, obey the commandments. Jesus isn't saying, don't do what the commandments say. He's not saying that, right? Yes, do what it says, but don't neglect justice. Don't neglect love of God. Again, like we just have to evaluate, say, Lord, Am I guilty of any of this? I want to let the Lord transform us from the inside out. Well, Jesus continued, and in verse 43, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. <clears throat> All right. In this second woe, Jesus is confronting, he's confronting their motives, right? He calls the Pharisees out for their desire to be elevated and to be celebrated by the people. Jesus says, you Pharisees love the best seats in the synagogues. You want to be right up front where everyone can see you. It's funny. These are usually the empty seats in our, in our church. Like, nobody wants to sit right up. I think maybe because I spray when I talk. I don't know. But it does remind me, though, like we have in, in our attic storage, I think there was a time where a lot of times in, in, in some of the older churches, the elders would all come up and sit at the front facing all of you, and, and they had these really nice chairs. They they're really cool. Um, we actually have one. Maybe I'll pull it out some Sunday. I'll sit up here, that'll be great. But Jesus says, you, you wanna be right up front where everyone can see you. You come into the synagogue and you sit right up front. I'm here, you know? The Pharisees, they, they loved the attention when, when people would greet them in the marketplaces. They, they loved the, the sound of their name on the lips of the people. And boy, did they love their they loved their titles, rabbi. They love the sound of rabbi coming off their lips. As Kent Hughes writes, the more elaborate the greetings, the better. Ah, I love this. Rabbi, glorious doctor of the Torah, repository of Solomonic epigrams, son of Amos, son of Saul, son of, you get the picture right? The Pharisees loved the praise of others. Matthew 23, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said to the Pharisees, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad. Remember we talked about phylacteries, they're like a, they're like a little leather box pouch that they would strap onto their forehead or on their arm, and they were filled with scriptures. And the Pharisees, they, they, the longer they did this, the bigger those boxes got. I don't know how they kept their head up sometimes, right? So Jesus says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Jesus says, whoa, whoa. Be careful. Be careful, Chris. Be careful, Christian. Do you love to hear pastor in front of your name? Be careful. Watch your heart. Watch your heart. Check your motives. This is a really easy trap to fall into, isn't it? It's really easy where we long for and we desire the praise of others. There's a good remedy for this in scripture. Look at Matthew chapter six this week. We don't have time to read the whole thing, but Matthew chapter six, Jesus gives some really great advice. Just a couple verses. Verse one, Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Beware of that. Verse two, he said, when you give to the needy, listen, sound no trumpet before you. Giving to the poor. Don't do that. Don't do that as the hypocrites do. Instead, verse three, when you give to the needy, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't do it. Jesus goes on. He talks about He talks about checking your heart when the way that you pray, checking your heart when it comes to practices like fasting. And he's saying like, don't do these things in order to be seen. He's not saying don't do them. He's not saying don't pray, don't give to the poor, don't fast. That's not what he's saying. Don't do it to be seen. Here's the deal. We are called to live our lives for the glory of God, right? Not for the praise of man. That's what we're called to do. The Pharisees had it messed up. Well, in verse 44, Jesus has, he's got one more woe for the Pharisees specifically here. He says, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Okay, just a little bit of background that I think is really helpful here. Okay, According to the Old Testament, book of Numbers, if a person came in contact with a corpse or even touched a grave, that person would become ceremonially unclean for a period of seven days. Okay, So during those seven days, they wouldn't be allowed to go to the synagogue, they wouldn't be allowed to go to the temple or the tabernacle in the Old Testament time. And so they, they they were they had to hold back for a while, and so, in order to protect people from unintentionally coming in contact with a grave, because you know there's cemeteries, but there are also people just there are graves kind of outside of the cemeteries throughout Israel, and. In order to protect people from unintentionally coming in contact with a grave, particularly when you think about like travelers, like three times a year they they were required to go up to Jerusalem for the festivals, right? The feast. And so they were coming up to Jerusalem to go to the temple for the feast. And if they came in contact with a grave on the way, guess what? You're ceremonially unclean now. And so in order to help prevent that, there was a custom that every spring in the spring, they would um, take a mixture of limestone and water, a limestone and water mixture, and they would whitewash all of the tombs, all of the graves, marking them so that you see them and you don't accidentally come in contact with a grave and make yourself ceremonially unclean. So Jesus says, woe to you, Warning, Pharisees, you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Think about what he's saying here. In other words, Jesus says, you think that you are a picture of cleanliness and godliness. That's what you think about yourself. But you're actually unclean. You're you're like a grave that hasn't been marked. And and, and here's the problem with that. People are coming in contact with you and they're actually being contaminated by contact with you. Wow. Can you imagine how that went over in that room? The the Pharisees were obsessed with being ritually clean, right? Right? It, it, again, all of these ceremonies and all these rituals for cleanliness, like, like the hand-washing ritual that has kicked off this whole thing, okay? But Jesus tells them that rather than leading people to God, because of all of their hypocrisy and their, and, and their rejection of Jesus, these spiritual leaders were actually leading people astray, They were contaminating the people. They weren't helping. They were harming, right? What a party. What a party. Can you imagine what's going through their minds at this point? Hope he's almost done. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus is not holding back. Told the folks out back this morning, I'm pretty sure that he did not that he didn't invite him to stay for dessert. <laughs> you know, like we were gonna serve tea afterwards, but you ain't getting any of that. <clears throat> After Jesus hits the, the, the Pharisees with these, these woes, in verse 45, another mistake here, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher. In saying these things, you insult us also. Ah. <laughs> Keep in mind, when Luke mentions lawyers, again, he's not talking about a lawyer like we think of today, like a defense attorney, although it does seem like they're kind of coming to the defense of the, of the, of the Pharisees here. But uh, no, we're talking about experts in the Mosaic law. Many of them were scribes who, who literally spent hours and hours copying the scriptures. Like the the lawyers, these scribes, these experts in the law, they, man, did they know the Old Testament scriptures, right? They spent just so much time in the word. And it was these experts, these experts in the law, they were the ones who had, had developed all of the the religious practices that the Pharisees followed, right? They were the ones who said, well, what does it mean here? And these experts would say, well, what it means is this. And, And over time through their teachings, these oral laws had been developed. And so this expert in the law, he speaks up and he says, excuse me, teacher, calls Jesus teacher. But I mean, you do know, Jesus, that by insulting the Pharisees, you are insulting us as well. He was warning, this was a warning. He was warning Jesus to be careful. Be careful, Jesus. You, uh, teacher, you sure you want to go there? Your teaching career is about to be over. This is a warning. As Chuck Swindoll points out, this lawyer, probably well-established in the religious hierarchy, thought it would be a good idea to bring Jesus back into line with correction. Good try. But Jesus didn't flinch, did he? Jesus is like, oh, yes, I am well aware. I I am well aware. And uh, let's be clear, I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. Having leveled three woes against the Pharisees, Jesus now sets his sights on these lawyers, these scribes, these these experts in the law. In verse 46, he said, woe to you lawyers also. Oh, you want some woe? (laughs) Here you go. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Translation, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You weigh the people down. You weigh them down with rules and rituals and burdensome requirements, and you don't even lift a finger to help them. You don't care. You don't care about them you're perfectly content to just make everyone else miserable, right? Weighed down with guilt and shame, not because of conviction that came from the word of God, but from conviction that came from people not practicing all of their foolish traditions. And they loved making people feel guilty. They loved it. Made them feel better about themselves. He says, you've taken the commands of God and you've piled on so many man-made rules that that you yourselves, you can't even follow all of your rules. And so what do you do? You find loopholes to get around the rules that you've created. And again, we don't have time to dig into this, but I'm telling you, it was ludicrous the types of little loopholes that they created to get around all of their monotonous rules. You can only walk so far from your residence, right? I said I wasn't gonna get into it. You can only walk so far from your residence. So in order to get around that rule, you just build a little shack so far from your residence. So now I'm at my other residence. Now I can walk a little further. Like, seriously, is that what it had in mind when Jesus said, don't work on the Sabbath? Come on, right? Just loopholes to get around all of their rules. It it was ridiculous. And it had become a heavy, 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 heavy burden for the people. right? It's no wonder that in Matthew 11, Jesus comes along and says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. They needed it. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. These so-called experts in the law had taken the written commands of God and they had turned them into a heavy burden on the shoulders of the people. Their rules and and, and their traditions had created unnecessary hurdles for those who desired to draw near to God. That's a serious problem, isn't it? That's a very serious problem. In verse 47, Jesus continues. Another woe. It's a long one. Here we go. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world May be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you it will be required of this generation. <clears throat> Jesus says, you know you you think you think that you're different than your ancestors you, you, you think that because You think that because you honor the prophets by by building them these elaborate tombs that that you're somehow different than your fathers who killed those prophets. But you're not. You're not different. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says that, you you scribes and Pharisees, you say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. They're like, oh, we wouldn't have done that. By the way, have you ever found yourself doing that when you're reading the Bible? Like, uh, oh, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> nope, not me. Yeah. Don't be so sure. Don't be so sure. We wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. And Jesus says, not true. Not true you would have done the same thing. You are just like your ancestors. Your fathers, they persecuted and they killed the Old Testament prophets. And guess what? You're doing the exact same thing. You're doing it right now. As Jesus looked around that table, I think about this, because right, where's he headed? He's heading to Jerusalem. This is the final time, uh, Jesus' time on earth, right? He's, he's nearing the end of his life on earth. As he's sitting around this table with these, with these Pharisees and these, these religious leaders, it is quite possible that he was looking into the eyes of some of the very men who would be responsible for his arrest and his crucifixion. Think about that. As he looked around the table, it is quite possible that he was looking into the eyes of some of the very men who would persecute his apostles, his disciples, as they began to spread the gospel from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is looking around at these religious leaders and he knows what's in their hearts. He knows the, the hatred and the murderous spirit that is alive inside of them. He knows it. And he knows what's coming for him in Jerusalem. He knows what's gonna happen. And Jesus says this. He says, all the blood of God's righteous martyrs from from Abel to Zechariah are gonna be charged against this generation. This this generation right in front of him. All the blood shed is gonna be charged against this generation. Now, we know who Abel was, right? Right? Genesis chapter 4, Abel is murdered by his jealous brother Cain. Abel was a righteous man, right? But he was murdered by his jealous brother Cain. In Genesis chapter 4, the Lord said to Cain, "The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground." 2nd Chronicles chapter 24, 2nd Chronicles chapter 24, we read about the murdering of Zechariah. As Zechariah was dying, this is what he cried out. He said, may the Lord see and avenge. Do you think the Lord saw? Oh, the Lord saw. Now, Jesus says from Abel to Zechariah. Something you should know is that in the Hebrew Bible, the books, the books are arranged in a different order. The Old Testament books are in a different order. You, yours goes from Genesis to Malachi, right? It's a different shuffled order of books in the, in the Hebrew Old Testament. In the Hebrew Old Testament, the last book, Second Chronicles. Interesting, right? So from Abel to Zechariah, from Genesis to 2 Chronicles, right? From the beginning to the end of the Old Testament, their blood is gonna be charged against this generation. I heard one pastor say, from A to Z, <laughs> Abel to Zechariah, their blood will be charged against this generation. Why? Because you you think you're honoring the prophets, but you cannot. You cannot honor those prophets and and righteous men of the Old Testament. You can't do that and simultaneously reject the Messiah that they and all the Old Testament scriptures pointed to, right? Right? by rejecting, persecuting, and ultimately killing Jesus and his disciples, they would prove that they were just like their ancestors. Just like them. And so finally, in verse 52, Jesus delivers one more woe. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. They thought they had entered, right? They thought they had it. These lawyers, they were supposed to be the experts in the law, right? People looked to them as the experts in the law. They were the the Bible teachers of the day, right? They They were the professional clergy of the day, they studied the scriptures. They interpreted the scriptures. They explained the scriptures to the people. But they had buried the truth of God's word under all of their burdensome religious practices. Not only had they rejected the truth of the scriptures, they, they hindered others from receiving the truth as well. It's sad because in the scriptures, listen, they had Everything they needed to recognize Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah. It was all there. But they rejected him and they led others away from Jesus as well. I gotta tell you, as a as a pastor, as a pastor, as someone who has been called to, to preach, to preach the word. I got as someone who's been called to to shepherd God's people I got to tell you this final woe man does it hit close to home Listen to these words from Pastor Kent Hughes He says this woe falls heavily upon those who are in the clergy Pastors must make sure that they keep the word, the key of knowledge, before their people. We must take care that we preach the word and not succumb to merely preaching about the word. We must be like Paul who said, "'I have become the church's servant "'by the commission God gave me to present to you "'the word of God in its fullness.'" Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. The opening of God's word was at the heart of Paul's passion for ministry. And the same should drive us. But you know, it's true for all of us, isn't it? It's not just for pastors, right? I mean, the great commission was given to all of Christ's followers, right? Bring the good news to everyone, right? And teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. so we, we we all need to keep the word, right? We all have to guard the word to stay grounded in the word. Many of you know that my my sort of my ministry verse, I don't know if it's my life verse but it's 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 definitely the verse that at, at, in accepting the call I believe of God to step into to full-time ministry teaching, the word, this is the verse that the Lord uh, laid on my heart, it comes from Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra 7 says, "For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach His statutes and rules in Israel." I believe that the Lord, that's the call that he's given me. He's called me to study his word. He's called me to do and practice what his word teaches. And he's called me to teach his word to others. This is what I'm called to do. And as one of my former Bible teachers said, as a teacher, my job is to simply teach the word of God Simply. Simply teach the word of God. Simply. There's a verse for this. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, we read that they read from the book. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Simply teach the word of god simply that's that's my calling and it's your calling too isn't it you're called to teach the word that's it that's it and that's what we got that's what we got to do but that's not what the scribes and the pharisees had done sadly The the lawyers and these experts in the law, they had buried his word, the the key of knowledge, under all of their rules, their rituals, and their traditions, and they had actually led people astray. They'd led them away from the truth of God's word. And so Jesus, over some delicious lamb, some lentils, I don't know what else they were eating that day, he gave them warnings. After warning, whoa, 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 whoa. Challenging them to examine their hearts, to examine their lives. And I believe that their eyes were open, if their eyes were open, like we talked about last week about being the light, they would have seen this as an opportunity to repent, to turn from their evil ways, to embrace the truth that was literally, literally the truth that was reclining at the table in front of them. Jesus is the truth. He's right in front of them. But in verse 53, we'll close here. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. See, rather than repent, rather than then respond to his warnings. They dug in their heels. They rejected these convicting words of Jesus. They refused to repent. And instead, they doubled down in their commitment to discredit Jesus. They're just going to up their game now. They increased their resolve to do away with him. And they think they're going to accomplish that when they put him on a cross. Even that is gonna fail, isn't it? Isn't it? But what about you? What about me? I I said at the beginning, my prayer is that, that, that we would invite the Lord to search our hearts, to examine our lives. Okay, that was the Pharisees, but what is God saying to you through these warnings? Maybe it's a different one but let the Lord examine your heart. Let him examine your life. And with the psalmist, we should all pray, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, see if there's any Pharisee in here. See if there's any scribe, lawyer. See if there's anything that displeases you in this heart. And God, re- reveal it to me that I might change and become more and more like your son, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for these words. We thank you that, that you didn't shy away at that dinner, You could have just walked in and played their game. You could have walked in, but you saw it as an opportunity. You saw it as an opportunity to speak the truth into their lives, to give them a warning, to turn, to repent. God, I pray that some of them did. We know that most did not. But now, Lord, here we are. It's 2024 God, I pray that, that I and my brothers and sisters here, that we would ask you to search our hearts, expose areas where we need to come into line with your word. Change us, Lord, and lead us in the way everlasting, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.